man, that is intense, and I'm not sleeping tonight. Hey, welcome. We are kicking off a brand new series tonight called The Unseen, where we will cover spiritual war, worlds, and wonders over the next few weeks. And so if it is your first time joining with us, we are so glad that you are here, whether that is in Dallas or downtown at Gillies or in Fort Worth or in Houston or wherever you are tuning in. Uh, anyone uh, a germaphobe in this room? Or let me say it another way. Anyone normal and sane in this room? <laughs> like myself? My team likes to say that I am a hypochondriac, and they may be right, but uh, the reason why they say that, or the reason why that is, is because uh, I, I don't know if you're like me, but like hand sanitizer is one of my best friends in the world. I keep some in my bag, I keep some in my car, two at home, one at my desk, it's everywhere, because I hate getting sick. Does anyone, can anyone relate to this? Anyone like, hey, I'm anti-germ? What is wrong with the rest of you? Wash your stinking hands, you people. Uh, I mean, when I go to eat with somebody, like if we were to go out to a meal, it happens every single time. And I always feel like I, I'm weird for doing this. And I'm always like, what is wrong with you? We'll sit down at the table, go into the restaurant, get there, begin to sit down. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to go to the restroom. Got to wash my hands. And I'll go to it and I'll leave the person at the table, go wash my hands. And they'll just continue eating right away. Like so much so that like, I don't want to shake somebody's hand. If we're starting to eat at the meal, I'm like, I'll do the fist bump. And I feel like it's rude of you to expect me to shake your hand right now. I'm not taking whatever disease you want to pass on. And... Uh, and if you're like that, maybe you can relate where you're like, man, I, I just, I don't love getting sick or, or getting germs. Here's what's, what's interesting about that is like 200 years ago, and less than that actually, like even the idea of being a germaphobe, that term did not exist. The idea of like, hey, germs and, and shaking hands and getting them that way or bacteria did not exist. For the longest time inside of really our world, uh, there was no uh, belief or people were not aware that there was such thing as germs or bacteria and they just thought that disease and the way that it spread, there really wasn't a clear explanation for kind of how it spread. I mean, this is like the 1800s we're talking, even in the later part of the 1800s where people just thought there was something called spontaneous generation, which may take you back to like biology class in eighth grade, where you studied this one time and then forgot it, but where uh, the belief was, hey, disease, the way it was explained was spontaneous generation. Sometimes it would just pop up spontaneously, it would generate. And so there wasn't always a clear rhyme or reason and people would get sick and they'd be around other people and those people wouldn't get sick, but, but someone else close to them would, and it, it just didn't always make sense, and people didn't know, and they just thought it's spontaneous generation, just spontaneously will generate, and disease will pop up, until this guy came along, and uh, yes, uh, uh, Colonel Sanders, and uh, no, this is Luis Pasteur, and Luis Pasteur, if you remember him, in that class that you were probably sleeping in, they talked about how pasteurization, and he came along and he proposed that no, hey, spontaneous generation with disease, that is not how this thing works. Uh, I mean, tragically, what drove him to really get into this and begin to devote his life to medical and disease and studying it um, was that he had five kids and three of them died from typhoid fever. And so he said, man, if there's a way to prevent disease, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life studying it to understand it and know how we could either prevent it or treat it. So he begins to study, and here's what he begins to discover through all these different tests. He says, it's not spontaneous generation. There's these things called germs 
There's these things called like bacteria and you can't see them. It's like these invisible things and they're everywhere. Like they're on the door handles you touch, they're on the money in your pockets, they're on the clothes that you're wearing. When you shake hands with people, they're passing all these different germs and that is the reason why people are getting sick. Whenever you're using that utensil, I mean, think about it. To us, we're like, really? That's crazy, they didn't know this. The world in which he began to really push this idea forward, many people thought, you're crazy. Like this knife that I just used in surgery, like it has these germs on it. I ran it underwater. I think it would be fine. He's going, no, there's still bacteria on it. There's germs. There's this invisible world. And it is impacting the world around us. And if you're not careful, it's going to lead not just to you getting sick. People could possibly even die. There's this invisible world. And people are going, there's, Luis, really? There's an invisible world out there that's impacting the visible world that I live in. And he would say, yes, all around you. The things that you cannot see are being impacted by the things that you cannot. And the reason I start there is because just like people thought, it was crazy at the time that there's this invisible world that exists out there that's impacting the visible world. Uh, when Louis Pasteur introduced the idea of germs or germ theory, in the same way, the Bible says there's another invisible world. That it's not just the invisible world of germs and bacteria and disease and things like that. There is a visible or invisible world that is impacting the visible world in which we live. And there is this spiritual, unseen realm that just like germs and just like people thought, oh, that's crazy. Just in that same way, the Bible says it's impacting the world in which we live in and the world in which you and I inhabit. And just like with Pasteur, the more the belief in germ theory kind of caught on, the more things began to make sense because they began to sterilize utensils when they did surgery, they began to change kind of behavior, began to not like shake hands with someone when they were sick, and, and all of a sudden like people stopped getting sick as much. And like things began to make sense. It's like, oh, that makes sense why we get sick. I was around, I shared the same room or, or drink or cup with this person who was sick, and all of a sudden it clicked into place tonight, and for the next few weeks, we're gonna study the idea of this unseen realm, what the Bible says about it, and in doing so, so much of your experience, my experience in life, all of a sudden becomes to come to focus. So much of the world around us and the craziness that's there begins to make sense. And also, just like Pasteur didn't cure germs. Like he didn't come up with the cure for germs. All he did was expose the reality that they exist. There's these invisible, you can't see them. And I'm, I don't have a cure for them, but I'm gonna at least expose you to the truth that they're there. And what we're gonna do tonight through the Apostle Paul and the teachings of uh, the scriptures is be exposed to the reality and the truth that there is an invisible realm and it is impacting your world. It is impacting your dating life. It is impacting your um, work life. It is impacting your uh, personal sin patterns, addictions. It is impacting the way that you view yourself. It is impacting arenas of life um, even beyond you. It is impacting your parents' marriage. It is impacting the national um, perspective of our country right now. There's all these different layers and they're being impacted and we're just gonna expose ourselves just like Pasteur didn't cure it. He just exposed that it's there. Hopefully in the next few minutes we are going to expose ourselves to it there and in the weeks ahead begin to explore what it's like to live inside of the seen world in light of the unseen world that's there. So we're gonna look at three ideas from the text, three ideas from the text. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six for the uh, first one and we'll dive in really to the idea of how there is an unseen realm there is an unseen reason for the evil that exists inside of our world and there's an unseen enemy that exists inside of all of us. Tonight is a little unusual in that a lot of times what we will do is we will try to take a 
topic and go super heavy application and what it looks like to live this out tonight. It's a little bit more of less, hey, here's what to do and here's what to know as we just frame up what the Bible has to say about this unseen world that is there for all of us. So we're gonna be uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. We'll dive right in. Here's what it says. Paul speaking, he's writing to the Ephesian church and he, he just finished six chapters of a letter where he just walked through, here's what it looks like to live out the Christian faith. And then in chapter five, he goes into all these different nuances. Here's what it looks like to be Christian husbands. And then in chapter six, uh, Christians at work and Christians um, as Christian wives and children and all these different things. And he says, here's what the church does there and here's the church's enemy and the church's battleground. Here's what he says, verse 12. For our struggle... Or the word is literally like our hand-to-hand combat, our battle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the physical world. It's not against, it's not a battle against the people that live next to you, or your coworkers, or the person in the cube next to you, or the apartment above you that annoys you. Our flesh and blood is not, Paul says, where the battle takes place, but it is against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, that Paul says, hey, look, that the battle that you and I as Christians, if we engage, I mean, think about how crazy this is. He says it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against a political party. It's not against, you know, ISIS. It's not against uh, the um, uh, individuals that you see paraded against, uh, paraded all over the news. It's not against um, your old boyfriend or your old girlfriend or, um, you know, whoever uh, in your past betrayed and hurt you. He says you and I's battle is against those who are in the spirit. There's these spiritual forces that are in this invisible world, but they are impacting the visible world. There is a spiritual component to the problems in your life and in my life. There is a spiritual dimension to the problems in our country right now. I mean, it is crazy. If it's your first time back in church in a while and you're like, dude, what is he, this invisible world? Do, 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 do. What in the world? Where am I right now? Um, <laughs> yeah. He is addressing that there is a spiritual dimension to every single problem that you and I face inside of our life, which, which is crucial. Like he's basically saying, look, you need to understand what the problem is because if you don't know what the problem is, you can't uh, essentially apply the right solution, right? Like we know this. If a person does not accurately understand the problem, they cannot diagnose or if they don't uh, accurately diagnose the problem, they can't accurately give a prescription or a solution to what's wrong. No one would be excited about going to a doctor and going into the waiting room and then waiting and seeing the doctor and you go in there and you have these symptoms and you're excited, hey, can you give me something? And he, you walk into his office and he just says, man, here, take this prescription. It'll be great. Wait, you haven't heard my symptoms. Ah, it's kind of one size fits all. Which one? You want another one? Here you go. You would not think that's a good doctor because he doesn't understand the problem. And if you do not understand the problem, Paul would say, and which is why, I mean, think about it. Why are, you, why are you telling them this, Paul? Why are you telling the Ephesian church this? Because Paul wants to make sure that they and we understand that the problems that you and I face are much deeper than what you see on the surface. There is a spiritual component. In other words, the solution that you and I, if we're gonna apply a solution to the problems that you and I see in our world, it has to involve a spiritual component to things. And let me say it another way. The problems, let's just take a few of the examples instead of a word. Um, we live in a world that thinks if we just educate enough and if we just give enough time you know, and enough science and we pass the right laws, then a lot of the problems will go away. Racism will not go away with enough education and enough time and enough laws. You cannot change the heart by legislation. Only the law of love can change the heart. There's a spiritual component that has to be changed. What happened this weekend in Charlottesville is not something that any legislation can change. 
And it's not, if we take everyone that we think is a racist and we throw them in jail and call them crazy, uh, it will not deal with the problem because evil is gonna manifest itself everywhere. There's a spiritual dimension, poverty. Education alone will not fix the problem of poverty inside of our country. Uh, The uh, problem with abortion and the tragedy that it is on our land is not something that will be fixed by enough laws that could be taken place. If it was, man, we should all quit and go join the government. But even if they pass the law, there's still gonna be segments and places in society where you can go and illegally do it. The thing that will stop the day that abortion ends in our country will be the day that Jesus captures the heart of people. The thing that will end racism inside of the country is not when education finally takes root, it is when Jesus captures the hearts of people. The thing that will get rid of ISIS is not a nuclear bomb, it will be when Jesus captures the heart of people. Paul says if you don't understand the problem, you will not apply the right solution. There is a spiritual, unseen component that is a part of all the different problems inside of your world. The collapse of marriage and the family. I read a report today that 57% of uh, parents between age 26 and 31, millennials, 57% are single parent wedlock children. Those are the babies that are being born. It's a majority taking place. That is not a problem that will be fixed by more birth control and more education. It is a problem that will only be fixed when Jesus captures the heart. Paul says, do not be fooled. There is a spiritual world, an unseen world, and it is impacting this world. And the victory and change has to include a spiritual component to it. Our first idea from the text is simply that. There is a spiritual realm, Paul says. And in addition to that, he then goes on to, not only is there this spiritual realm that's influencing and impacting the world in which we live in, but he says this, there is a spiritual reason or an unseen reason for so much of the evil that exists in our world. He says this in verse 10, the verse right before it in 11. As Paul began um, to launch into the verse that we just read, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul, are you saying that there's a devil out there that is scheming against me, against the church, against Christians, against humanity, against people? Yes, he would say. There's an unseen reason for the evil inside of our world that you and I see, and it's Satan. It's a devil. Jesus would say, and so if you're skeptical, like, man, is it really a devil? Jesus, in John chapter eight, would say that there is a devil who is out there, who is an enemy. He's been a murderer from the beginning. He wants to murder you. He hates you. He's a liar. Jesus literally says his only language. He's fluent in lying. That's all that he speaks. Jesus says there is an enemy, and he's here to kill you. He's here to kill anything good about humanity. Anything good inside of your life, he wants to destroy it, Jesus says. That there is a reason for the evil inside of our world, and it is uh, ultimately sin and Satan. And here we're just discussing Satan, who heads up the spiritual forces of darkness inside of our world. And you may be like, man, really? We're talking about the devil? Do we really believe this exists? Um, Because we, less and less, uh, inside of our country, people believe that it exists. Here's what I would say quickly. As we've said before, man, um, the reason why I'm convinced there's a devil is because Jesus was. And, uh, and I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But when a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, 
I just go with whatever he says. I'm like, all right, there's a devil. Yeah, I'm with him, okay? He said, you know, he died and he came back alive, and I can't do it if I try. I'm going to go with him, all right? Can you do that? Uh, if so, let's talk afterwards. And so Jesus lays out. And so if you're curious, if you're like, man, that's crazy, the reason we do is because Jesus did. And Jesus said there is a reason and there is an enemy and a real enemy who hates you. And he wants to kill anything good inside of your life. He does not want you to know God. He wants to destroy your dating relationship. He wants you to get so addicted to pornography that you cannot look at women without lusting. You cannot imagine them without beginning to take and address them in your mind. That's what he wants. He wants to destroy your dating life so that you date poorly and then you marry poorly. And then he wants you to get a divorce. He loves divorce. He hates when couples date well. He wants to kill anything good in your life. He wants uh, you to experience just like an idolatry at work where you, you begin to get so busy, you're like, man, I just can't really get plugged into church right now and because I'm just too busy. He hates it when you get plugged into church. He hates it when you're in community. He hates it when you live in the life. He hates it when you live and experience your purpose. Like he wants you to be so busy. I really can't serve you know, the church or inside of the city right now. I really can't be a part of God's expression of goodness in the city that I live because you know, I'm, I'm busy right now trying to build my career. Satan loves that. Anything he can do to get you off mission. If he can't kill you, he will do everything he can to stop you from being effective for Christ. And Jesus says he's a murderer, he's a liar, and he deceives, he twists things. He takes good things and makes them God things. He takes things like, man, the gift of marriage, and all of a sudden, he puts that in front of you in a way that you can't think about anything other than when am I gonna get married? Every time I get a wedding invitation, I'm ticked. I can't believe that you know, they got engaged and they asked me to take the picture. Anytime anything like that happens, you're like, great. And he says, man, anything I can do, I'm gonna infuse gossip. He loves when people gossip. He hates when they lovingly or honestly just are direct and truthful with one another. He loves division. Jesus says he hates you and he'll do anything he can to distort and just subtly twist things. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to look around at our world and see some of the twisting um, that's taking place. And I'm not trying to get political here, but we, we kind of continue to like look at things that seem to be somewhat black and white. It could be wrong. I don't think I am because the Bible says it. But where you look at a man and a woman and people being like, no, doesn't tell the whole story. They're... Uh, could have been born with something different. We don't really know if that's a man and a woman. And so what do they think? And um, that's insane. And, and if you don't think that's insane, I understand why. Because we live in this world where the prince of the power of the air, which is what the Bible says, has begun to really so convolute the perspectives that even a man and a woman were like, ah, not sure. That's insane. And it's just twisted. Well, how do they feel? It's twisted. The Bible says it's Satan, not only that, he is seeking to ensnare or trap you and me in sin. Like whatever it is. It doesn't have to be some extreme, like, hey man, I'm gonna get you addicted on heroin. It doesn't have to be that. Like he may just be like, hey, I'm just gonna make you comfortable and so distracted. I'm gonna make that relationship you're in so dysfunctional. You really can't focus on anyone and anything other than you and your boyfriend or you and her. Hey, I'm gonna make you so like insecure about the way that you look that anytime you're around people, all you think about is like, what do they think about me and how do I look right now? And gosh, I'm so insecure or so overly proud of how you look that all you can think about is I wonder what they think about me. And he'll do whatever he can to trap and ensnare. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 26 literally says that the enemy is looking to trap. 
you and I. Like he's setting a trap. Think about that. Like a a year and a half ago, we lived in this place that that had rats inside of it. And um, and like like rats, unbelievably impressive rats. Let me just say this. They would come into our home at night. Like I'm not saying like they're in the attic and we can hear them and it's a little bit like, oh man. They were in, they were in our living room. They were literally, they would come in at night. We would hear them because they would get in through some of the plumbing. We would hear them out there and they'd go through into the kitchen. They would go in. They chewed through the Tupperware that holds the dog food in there. And we came through and we saw, like, I know, like Schwarzer rat. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and, uh, and then they'd be gone in the morning. It's so disgusting. So eventually somebody was like, dude, here's what you got to do. You got to get this trap. Um, it'll, it'll get rid of them. And then once you kill one, you just pull it back, put another piece of cheese or food in there and then let it go again. And so a little bit of skeptical, ended up going and getting the trap, put it in, um, put it in our house and then set it out. And sure enough, man, the next day, snap, there was one and it was gone. And you come up and it's honestly, it's a pretty good feeling. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) And uh, there's something about rats where it just doesn't feel bad. You know, like you squash it, squash a roly poly. You're like, oh, come on, little guy. But a rat, you're like, yeah, you deserve this. And, uh, And so, but here's what would always happen. Like, you'd think that the other rats would be like, oh, man, I saw, you know, Cousin Sal die. We shouldn't eat the cheese. And they would, uh, <laughs> and they would come, and you'd set it out again. And sure enough, despite the fact that they just saw, you know, whoever get taken out, Aunt Sally, just, we lost another one the next day. Boom, snapped again. The Bible says, like, this is so haunting, almost, that you and I are the rats, and Satan is setting out traps. And despite the fact that people see marriages get taken out, they see addictions begin to take place, they see people getting checked into rehab because, you know, they just kind of drank on the weekend and then they couldn't stop. One after one, Satan says, man, they see him get taken out. But I'll take whatever trap I have to because they're going to fall for the bait. They're going to get lured and enticed by their own desires. They're going to take whatever, insert fill in the blank for you what that is. Whether it's, Pride, sex, whatever's going to pull them away from God, distract them from the things that really matter, man, I'm going to set the bait, set the traps. And he is doing it and seeking to kill. And Jesus says, man, if he cannot kill you, and if you're a believer in Christ, ultimately your eternal destiny is secure, but he will do everything he can to make you less effective and make you experience not hell for eternity, hell on earth, and me hell on earth. And he is seeking to destroy you and I. James, the brother of Jesus, then finishes really our final idea. So there's this unseen realm, there's this unseen reason for evil inside of a world, an enemy called Satan. And then there's this unseen enemy that is within us. James, the brother of Jesus says, he says this in chapter one of James 1 verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted. So he's going into like, hey, you wanna know how temptation happens in your life and in my life? When you experience temptation, here's what happens. When they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Wait a second, James, what? Evil desire, that feels a little harsh. Yes, every person has an evil desire within them, has evil desires within them. The word inside of Greek is not just this like, oh, they have this one evil desire. It's this idea of like they have this evil, uh, sinful nature that will lure them and entice them away. James says, and it's when this happens that they're beginning to be tempted. In other words, when someone's tempted, it's because this sinful nature inside of them begins to be appealed or enticed. And he says, this is what happens then. 
and then after it, it's enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That James said, what's behind so much of the temptation inside of your life and inside of my life, he he doesn't even mention the devil. Now, Satan may use the sinful nature or um, evil desires within all of us, but he says, you and I have this other enemy that's not outside of us, it's inside of us that is trying to lead us astray and trying, and he says, and if you let it drive the car, it's gonna drive you off the road. It's gonna drive me off the road. That if you and I embrace a lifestyle that, man, or just a belief, it's so common of like, do whatever feels good and you do you and, um, you know, you were born this way. When you and I do that, he says, you're going to drive your own life off the rails. You hurt yourself. Our third idea is the unseen enemy within you. There's this unseen enemy within you. The battle doesn't just take place against the devil made me do it. He would say, man, you have an evil desire. You have evil desires inside of you. There's something just broken that exists inside of you, inside of me. It's not dissimilar, like if you've ever driven a car where the alignment is off. Um, maybe some of you drove here tonight and your alignment's off, and what happens is if like, you take your hands off the wheel, you're going out into the next lane, right? I mean, the Bible presents this picture of humanity that every single one of us, the, the steering wheel of our heart is broken. And James says, if you just allow the heart that you have to drive you wherever it says you should go, you will drive yourself off the road and into a ditch. You will deceive yourself, you will destroy um, any arena of life where you allow just whatever you feel like to be the deciding factor. That you're gonna live a life where you end up um, being not someone who's in control of it, but being controlled by whatever desires, whatever feelings that you have. And he says, man, it eventually will bring out death. Here's why I think we get stuck, is we're like, dude, wait a second, you tell me that Eventually, if sin is there, it conceives, it brings forth death, like sin brings death around. I feel like, you know, last weekend, and I'm not dead. So um, how is that true? Like, I've sinned before. I've clearly sinned before. We all have, and I'm not dead. What James lays out, what the Bible teaches is this, and this may bring a lot of clarity for you if you have wondered that idea of, like, sin brings death. What the Bible teaches is that sin is like a cancer, Sin is like a cancer in that it kills everything that it touches. If you allow it inside of your dating life, it begins to kill the relationship. It begins to kill uh, your own self-worth. It begins to manifest in all kinds of these different growths and things like codependency and anxiety and control. It begins to spread like an infection. That whatever it touches, sin is the reason. And if you're like, man, sin uh, brings and kills anything it touches. It killed my parents' marriage. Maybe you're like that. Sin is the reason why um, uh, so much of the addiction that is just rampant in our country is taking place. Because sin has killed their ability to be self-controlled. Sin will kill anything that it touches inside of your life and inside of my life. Sin will kill your ability to look at a woman and not undress her in your head. Sin will kill your ability to live without alcohol. I mean, anything that it touches, it's gonna, sin will kill your relationships. Sin will kill your friendships. Sin wants to kill your friendships. And James says, be aware there's an enemy within you that must be kept in check. It must be kept in check because it is going to hurt and kill you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to people. Like it's a way they're like, yeah, I think this is the way we should go. Let's go. And it, in the end, it leads to death. It only hurts them. 
I mean, it's not hard to like see this, isn't it? Like think of how many of the behaviors that we do that, they, that we, uh, we do them and we regret them and then we do them again and they're only hurting us. Like, man, this is the last time we are not having sex and then you had sex the next weekend. Hey, man, this is the last time, you know, we're going out tonight, but really I think I'm gonna give up alcohol for, you know, the next month. Gotta clean it up a little bit. And then the next weekend comes, you're like, ah, I'm gonna start next weekend. And on and on and on. I mean, there's decisions where we like try to take steps um, in a direction that we know God wants us to move, and yet for whatever reason, we talk ourselves out of it. Hey, I'm gonna get rid of the computer tomorrow. And James says, man, you are... If you allow that to control your life, you're headed towards destruction. In my own life, I see examples of like how I, my evil desires within me can manifest and hurt only me. Uh, we, uh, we, in the last week and a half, we're like moving. We're like in this crazy season right now. So we're moving, we're renovating the home that we're living in. So we're living like in boxes downstairs and then they're renovating the upstairs. And so we're like, there's construction workers everywhere. And we're like, I'm gonna change in this closet. Okay, there's another construction worker. Where can I go? And uh, so we're, we're like um, just in this crazy season. And last week specifically, so we moved. And uh, within a week and a half, we moved. We, uh, we've gotten two wrecks in one day. Yeah, yeah, I know. And my wife has got to learn to drive. And uh, <laughs> no, one of them was me. And uh, I know, how crazy is that? The same day, hey, I got in a wreck. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Call back five. Hey, I got in a wreck. And uh, dude, and then we got robbed. How crazy is that? Spiritual warfare, unseen, come on. And uh, which it may be. Um, but all that to say, just all this craziness. And, and here's what happens for me. Whenever I get stressed, I get like angry, like short. And that may be crazy. You're like, huh, I thought pastors were perfect. Well, newsflash. And, um, and this was like last weekend where my wife and I were discussing things and, and she basically was going, hey, I feel like I need more ball help with the baby. And, um, and I was like, I feel like I immediately got angry, immediately got defensive. I feel like you don't even know everything that I have going on and raised my voice yelling at my wife in front of my 20-month-old son. Why would I do that? I mean, think about it. Like even, so... In the moment, it feels good, it feels justified, and I can't believe this. And then afterwards, of course, it's like you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed, you feel just heartbroken. Um, and so I looped in community, asked for her forgiveness. But think about why. Like, why would I, how could that even take, take place? I mean, out of everyone on the entire planet, what could cause and move me to, towards the person that I love more than anyone else, which is my wife, all raise my voice and yell in front of a 20-month-old son and just yell at her in general? I mean, out of the two people inside of the room that, like, man, there's no one who means more on the planet. Like, people, my wife and son, as in, like, if something happens to them, I'm not sure I make it. And here I am yelling at them? Because there's something in me, this evil desire, that if I allow it to control, I allow it to come out, will lead me, it wants to destroy my marriage, destroy my future, destroy um, my son's perspective on what a good father looks like. And the same thing exists in you and wants to come out and destroy any of those different arenas. In conclusion, there is, as we just lay the really direction for this first week, there's an unseen world, and it's impacting this one. There is an unseen reason 
for the evil inside of this world. And there's an unseen enemy within you, just like it's within me. Let me, um, I'm gonna close right here. And um, I think as believers, there's this tension because we know that hey, the battle in Jesus on the cross, there was this victory that was won. Like there was this victory and Satan ultimately was, was dealt this fatal wound and, and ultimately the victory is ours. And so, um, you know, how do we navigate and what does that look like and how does that impact the world in which we live? And hasn't Satan been any power that he has been removed? Here, here's kind of what I think it's like. I heard this story yesterday and I like spent time on the phone to confirm it. It's a crazy story. And, um, and it was this guy who, who went to Africa and he went on a safari trip to go hunting. He was a hunter and he liked to hunt and, and he went over to hunt, not like um, a deer, but a lion, and, um, and he's over there, and it's in like a, hey, you should hunt lion. It's not really relevant to the story, whether you should or shouldn't, but he's, he's over there, and he uh, gets a guide, and they're going to hunt the lion, and the guide's taking him out, and, and eventually they find, they see a lion, and he takes the gun, and <laughs> takes a shot, and he hits the lion, but he doesn't fall over. He just wounds it, and the lion takes off running, and they'd been tracking the lion, so they saw his tracks, and that's how they had led to him. But now, not only do they have the tracks, they have the blood. So it's, it should be an easy enough fall. So they begin to follow the blood and follow the tracks. And they're following this line. And um, eventually, as they're going through the path, the tracks and the blood stop. And they're like, huh. I wonder what could happen. So they begin to continue to look. And they're walking around. And they, they're just, at this point, trying to just figure out where he possibly could be. Because they don't have a trail to follow. And all of a sudden, the guy grabs the guy and says, stop turn around slowly and they turn around and there's the lion and the lion begins to charge at them and the guide's like hey I'm not taking any chances whether you can shoot or not you couldn't the first times I'm taking the gun and he shoots the lion and the lion dies and they go back and they retrace their steps and here was like the crazy part is they began to look at the tracks and where uh, the lion had been and retraced where he went and they realized that at some point they went from being the hunter to the hunted and this thing, even though it had been dealt a fatal wound, was no longer something being hunted. It was hunting them and was going to take them out. The Bible says that when it comes to the enemy that you and I have, which is Satan, and in addition to that, the sinful nature, which he uses and plays off of inside of all of our lives, the enemy that's there has been dealt a fatal wound by Christ on the cross. But make no mistake, he will do anything he can to take you out and to take me out. And even though he's got the fatal, hey, I'm going to die, I am hunting you, David, you, Porch, and I will do anything that I have to to make sure that your relationship with God suffers. You don't even get a relationship with God if you don't know him. That's his desire. He will do anything to take you and I out because he hates you. And just like inside of that story where um, in a moment what allowed the guy or what allowed the hunter to be protected was the guide said, I'm going to take the gun and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to be not only the guide but the protector and ultimately the defeater of the person that's hunting us. So it is with what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's what Christians believe. If you are not a Christian inside of that story, you are like the hunter without a gun and without a guide. You do not have the superior lion of Judah who attacks the lion that comes after, that seeks, the Bible says, Satan is like a lion that seeks to devour your life and kill everything inside of it. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, you do not have that protection. The very first, one of the first verses I remember memorizing 
came from Psalm 91. And, and we're landing the plane. Psalm 91 begins that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide with the shadow of the Almighty or abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Here's what that means. He who abides, abides in the shelter or the protection of God is close. It's like he's under the shadow of his wings. In other words, there is protection and proximity to God. There is protection and proximity to the Savior, to Jesus. Proximity both in terms of trusting and placing yourself under what he did on the cross dying for you and protection through the relationship that is strong. There's protection and proximity to Jesus and it is in knowing him and walking with him that we have the guide who is there to protect, to show us the way, to guide us in the way that we live our relationships and our dating life and all of these things. And if you have never trusted in Jesus, the very thing that the enemy, there is a devil, listen to me right now, I want everybody to come back in, especially if you've never put your trust in Christ. There is an enemy right now who is doing anything and everything that he can to distract you. He's trying to get you to look at the girl next to you, he's trying to get you to look at the guy next to you, get you to be distracted by the worries of whatever's going on in your life and why I don't like this guy and what shirt is he wearing up there. He's trying to do anything that he can to get your mind off of the fact that God loves you. He died on a cross for you. Not because you deserve it, not because you could ever earn it, because he, being rich and abounding in love, the Bible says, looked at the humanity that ran from him and he ran after them. And he provided the ultimate sacrifice. He jumped in front of the lion of sin and Satan to die in their place, to die for you. And here's what the Bible says. Satan is blinding you right now. I know that sounds crazy and weird. The Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, the God of this age is blinding people who cannot see the light of Jesus. He's blinding the family members in yours and mine that don't know Jesus. And when you share the faith or share the gospel, that God doesn't want anything from you. He just wants you to accept. My son died on your place and he rose again. Trust in what he did. And when they can't hear it and they don't receive it, it says Satan has blinded and veiled them. And in a moment of faith where they trust in him, they have unveiled faces and they're able to see Jesus as the image of God, as God who he is, the protector, the one who if you dwell in the shelter of protection of the Most High, you abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a superior to any force in this world and that you ultimately have defeated and delivered the final blow to the enemy of the human race and that all who trust and stand with you shall be forever protected by their guide and their God and our Savior, the Messiah and the King the lion of Judah who slays the lion that seeks to devour. Father, I pray, God, would you do something amazing in these next moments and would you open the eyes of people in the room who don't believe, Lord. Father, we as just the followers of Jesus in the room, we acknowledge that there are friends and people in our life that don't know you and we're asking, Lord, we're begging the hounds of heaven to be unleashed and press into the hearts of, of anyone here who doesn't know you. And they would accept the free gift that the God who is there provides, the free protection that he provides through the provision of what he provided on the cross by dying in their place. 
Father, thank you that you love us in spite of us. Would you protect us now and forever from the unseen realm, from the unseen enemy, from the unseen enemy within us. We worship you now in song.